Welcome to the Where There's a Will, There's a Way podcast with Coulter Legal, where we share our insights and bust some myths on wills, estate planning and deceased estates. I begin today by acknowledging the Wadawurrung people, traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording this podcast today. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening to this podcast. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Where There's a Will, There's a Way, your podcast with Colt Illegal. I'm Stefan Manch and joining me again today uh, is Tristan Burke, lawyer from our Wills and Estates and Succession team. How are you going, Tristan? Good. Thanks, Stefan. Thanks for having me back. No worries. Glad to have you back. Um, now, as always, another interesting topic today. Uh, what happens to your assets if you die without a will or without a valid will and why you might want to take control of your estate planning instead of leaving it to chance? I can't think of anybody, I mean, we're lawyers, we're control freaks, so of course we want to, but I can't think of many people who wouldn't want to take control when they've got the easy opportunity to do so. No, no. Um, yeah, um, la- lazy, lazy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let's let's make it really easy for people today. So we're, we're going to talk about a discussion we have with our clients often uh, and and this is also a discussion, it's, it's the first question most friends or family ask when they realise you practice in wills and estates. I'm sure... Even only two years in, you're sick to death of these, these questions. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but, you know, do you get this all the time at family barbecues? Like, what happens to my assets if I die without a will? Yeah, I'm, I'm, at an, <laughs> I'm in the, an age bracket of like late 20s, early 30s where um, people are starting to think about this stuff but haven't necessarily put it in place. Um, and they're often curious what happens um, if I don't have one. A lot of the time it's me trying to convince them, hey, you really should write a will, um, and they're like, "Oh, what happens if I don't?" And then I have to go through the uh, the the flow chart of of where it all goes, which we'll talk about. Um, yeah. and, and I'm sure most aren't satisfied or reassured by the answer you give them. Yeah, um, it usually prompts them into, "Oh, I should come and see you." <laughs> yep, yep, which they absolutely should. <laughs> um, so, so let's start at the top. If a person makes a valid will, everything's relatively simple. There's a few caveats there, but the will directs exactly who's to benefit from the estate and how. Where a person dies without a will, what happens? So in Victoria and, and every, every other state and territory in Australia, there's um, like a default hierarchy as a bit of a fail safe mm-hmm. um, and it just sets out basically in closest, closeness to relationship to you where your estate should pass. Mm-hmm. Um, it can get really messy and really complicated, especially if you've got blended families and multiple partners if you're a bit sneaky, um, if you've got multiple spouses. But, um, yeah, there's a there's there's basically a flowchart and it all starts from whether you're survived by a partner or not and then works down from there. Right. So, so basically the law, as it does has tried to create a formula for estate distribution which should work for the standard nuclear family. Um, but we'll get into the complexities and the inadequacies of that system a little further on in the discussion. Um, can you take our listeners through the first few levels of distribution in accordance with those laws? Um, and, and I'll just note all of these are based on the differing family situation of the deceased person at the time they die. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, look, it can get really complicated, but broadly, um, 
if the deceased was survived by a partner. So if they had a partner who survived them by more than 30 days um, and, you know, uh, yeah, they, they do survive them by more than 30 days, it all goes to them. Um, there's a few substrates, you know, subsets of that if, if um, the surviving partner, um, it, you know, had the deceased had children from a previous relationship was, but was also survived. There's a legacy that's paid to the current partner and then the rest goes to the kids. Um, if they weren't survived by a partner, were they survived by children? Um, if they were, their children get it equally. If they weren't, um, it kind of goes down the levels of it goes to parents. If there's no parents, brothers and sisters. If there's no brothers and sisters, um, children of the deceased brothers and sisters. If there's none of them, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and then eventually um, the ATO, which we are imagining most people are trying to avoid. Absolutely. So, right, so that, that rundown sounds reasonable enough, doesn't it? Like, it, you know, if you've, it, it goes to the people closest to you um, and if you've got different, you know, various people close to you, then it tries to split them between them in the, the most effective way. And so that it does sound reasonable until we start to apply it into different common family scenarios. So take, for instance, the, the situation where a person's primary asset is their family home and I'll put my hand up this situation covers my scenario perfectly you know so they've got a family home that's their primary asset is survived by a spouse and children so technically that house should be sold to divide the value of the property to pay that statutory legacy to the spouse um, and then divvy up the balance for the kids And, and so there's maths around there we won't get into but how many people could say that 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 is what they would want to happen if they passed away with a spouse and children. It, it's certainly not for me. I know my wife wouldn't be too happy about it. Um, what, you know, as a surviving spouse and what I would want is that my wife and my kids have a home that they can live in and, at the you know, when my spouse passes, you know, the, the property then passes to the kids or they get some share of it down the track. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine anyone who whose intention it would be for the spouse to have to sell the house. You know, they're just dealing with the death of their their spouse and now they've got to sell the, the, the property and buy back into a, you know, terrible market um, or whatever. You know, maybe they can't get finance. Maybe they, they haven't worked in a while and they're not eligible for a loan and, and they've got to get back into the rental market. And um, it's it's not – I don't – yeah, I can't imagine that ever really being a good situation for anybody. No. Um, and so well, – I should jump in and we were talking about this off air that the intestacy laws don't only come into play if a person doesn't have a will. They also come into play if a person has a will but the beneficiaries that they've named have all passed away. Um, So, you know, if if you haven't put in a number of levels of backup or if your beneficiaries have passed, then these intestacy laws will also apply. Is that right? Yeah, that's spot on. I actually met with people um, earlier today to discuss their estate planning and their um, they're from, you know, they're, um, expats have been here a couple of years and they have a very, very small family. Um, and it's only the two of them and their son and in their current wills, it was to each other and then to their son. And if anything happened and, and he's under 18, so if anything happened to the three of them, they actually don't have any other family for it to go mm-hmm. to. Um, so the current wills, if that did happen, it would be like they didn't have a will. Um, and based on this list, um, it would there's a fair chance it would go to the ATO. Yep. And and look, 
lovers of the ATL aside, there's not many people of us who, who want it to go that way. You know, and all jokes aside, if we, there were no other family beneficiaries, then most people would have some charity, um, some organisation that they would want to benefit from, you know, what they've worked hard to build up over their lives, you know, that they should nominate. Um, and, and the intestacy laws just don't provide that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. They, they've got some close friends who they treat like family um, who they would like to leave a percentage to and also some charities they feel passionately about that they wouldn't be able to do under the, under these default law, laws. It just doesn't apply. Mm. So the intestacy law, so, you know, for dealing with um, particularly complex structures or even simple families, they're, they're a little bit inadequate in many situations. Um, what other situations do they leave you know, a little bit in the dark or in a grey area. One one situation which we were, we were actually talking about as well off air was um, if if you, you know, it goes to your spouse in the first instance, but if you're in a relationship where you might have a partner who doesn't actually meet the definition of a spouse, um, the definition is quite prescriptive. It's kind of, you know, married or in a registered domestic relationship, which is kind of where you let the government know you're together um, or where you've lived together or, you know, on a, on a base for, I think it's two years just before you die. If you don't kind of tick one of those boxes, you might not be recognised as a spouse and you might just kind of, kind of get missed in that list. So that's one issue. Oh, and, then, and then there's the flip side. So I've um, unfortunately had to deal with some estates where a person is married, they've separated, they haven't divorced, so they're technically still married happily separated um, and then repartnered and they're in, a, they're in a new de facto relationship. And it passes, ticks all those boxes. So at the time they die, they've actually got two spouses within the law, you know, within the, yes. the, the definition um, of spouse and that, that's going to create some real complexity. Um, so, so another area in which this is relatively inadequate. Absolutely. And, and I, in that situation they'd get it 50-50. You know, it's absolutely less than ideal. Um, by making a will, um, you know, you can you can you can avoid that happening, um, which I'm sure most people want to do. Absolutely, <laughs> just imagine that discussion at the dinner table. <laughs> yeah. Um, now th- there are there are a number of other things which you know, not making a will or not completing an estate plan leaves out. Superannuation is one of them, and we bang about this, uh, bang on about this on this podcast all the time. You know, intestacy, the, the, the laws around intestacy don't touch superannuation because it's in a trust structure, it's not a personal asset. So um, it, it doesn't give you any help there. Uh, so what do people need to do um, to make sure that their super is covered? Yeah, um, we spoke about this on an earlier podcast, but um, there's a binding death benefit nomination that you should do with your superannuation fund, which directs your um, the trustee of your super fund to pay it to a particular person or into your estate. Um if you don't have a will, you really should have one. But if you don't, you definitely should have a binding death benefit nomination in place. Um, my age group, um, often that's your biggest asset. And you want to make sure that that at, at a minimum is um, directed somewhere, um, whether it's to your, you know, your partner or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that, that's something you can do. Um, there, there's a, there's, I'll just quickly mention it there's two types there's non-binding and binding non-binding is is more of a wish and that's often you can do that through the app or on the website the binding form that you should do is is 
you've almost always got to print it off, fill it out and post it into your super fund. Great, great tip there. Now we've talked about the, these laws being inadequate and and it's not the laws themselves. They're, you know, the law is just trying to, you know, tick as many boxes for as many people in the simplest way possible. But where a person's assets are any more complex than just owning a property or having cash in bank accounts, again, the laws of intestacy just leave people short. You know, if a person's got a, a role in a trust structure, um, you know, intestacy laws don't help there. Hopefully there's something in the trust deed that helps out, but you never know. Um, the other clear inadequacies is in terms of making provision for vulnerable beneficiaries. Mm. So intestacy laws don't, you know, go down the rabbit hole of looking after specific beneficiaries. They just say they get those assets in whatever share the laws set out that they do. What that means is that people who would have the the get a real benefit from the use of a testamentary trust, which we'll get into in, a, in, in detail in another episode, or a special disability trust, so for um, beneficiaries with a uh, disability um, and, and who are in receipt of a special disability pension, uh, they could benefit from a type of trust created in wills, which means that they get to have a significant amount of assets without affecting their disability support pension. Now, under the laws of intestacy, if they were a beneficiary, they would just receive those assets in their own name. Their disability support pension is assets tested uh, and so there's a pretty good chance they're going to lose a, a, a fair chunk of their pension because of that. So they benefit but they don't benefit in the best way possible. And I think we all want to do that for, for our, the people we love is benefit them in the best way possible. Any other situations you can think of, um, you know, where the intestacy laws leave a bit to be desired? Um, yes. Uh, I might just quickly touch on um, vulnerable beneficiaries just really quickly. Um, and I know you're going to um, do a fantastic podcast setting out all the benefits because they really are um, a great form of, of, of a, you know, a will um, and an estate planning tool. But if you have a, a beneficiary um, who, you know, let's say they're in business and there's a risk that they might be sued or um, go bankrupt or, or whatever it is, um, in a standard will or under the intestacy um, laws, they just kind of, you know, the estate, everything gets sold or whatever it is and it gets paid out per the list um, or, or per the standard will and they receive their money in their bank and if they're currently going through bankruptcy proceedings or if they are bankrupt, um the amount they owe, the money they would have inherit would have inherited would just go to the you know bankruptcy trustee. Yep. Um, so you know in and out really quickly, and and they, they might as well have never received the inheritance. But if it goes into a testamentary trust, um, it's kind of quarantined. It's sitting there, and they can benefit from it as a beneficiary. Um, also, if you've got a um, beneficiary who's got um, spending problems or addiction problems. Um, and, you know, under the intestacy laws, they just kind of get their money into their account once all the assets are liquidated. But in a, in a testamentary trust, you can put it in there, you can have it controlled by somebody else, and it means that they won't just spend it all in one go, um, which is really important. Absolutely. And even in a, a, you know, a much more simple scenario where you've got, you know, as a, a parent, you've got young children, I do, and I think about them hitting, you know, 18 um, and and whether they would be in a place to manage the assets properly at that age, 
you know, even in a very simple will, we can delay that till 21 or 25 um, or we can put in more complex structures in place as you were just talking about, Tristan. Um, with intestacy laws, you know, it, 18 is the age at which minor beneficiaries, you know, get their, um, their share in the estate, you know, once they hit that age. There's no ability to delay that at all. Um, and so, again, that can bring with it a raft of problems that for even with relatively simple assets and simple circumstances, it's not something a lot of parents would want. No, 18 is pretty young and I'm not sure about you, but it seems like the trend I'm having at the moment is people feel more comfortable setting that age to 21, 25. Um, it doesn't mean that they can't have any benefit from the will until that age. There, there's things that the executors can do to make sure that they're maintained and they've, you know, they're looked after, but the bulk of the estate is kind of held for them until that age. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, let you know, if you've got a house and whatever it is, you know, imagine an 18 year old inheriting $800,000. It might be a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I, I, you know, you and I are both lawyers, you know, probably considered relatively responsible individuals. Both of us at 18 would have not done the right thing. If, if a <laughs> large inheritance would have landed on our lap. I, I probably wouldn't be, um, a lawyer, I probably would, I'd, you know, if I if I wasn't already, um, yeah, in the Bahamas, I'd, I'd yeah, it'd be it'd be gone yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yep. Um, now there's there's uh, you know other things that intestacy laws don't cover which are really important to people. Um, you know, there's no ability to make the provision for pets. There's no ability to make provision. You know, state your wishes about funeral or burial or cremation. There's no ability to manage digital assets. Um, these are all things which, you know, they can be dealt with in time but there's there's no ability for you to put you, you know, to record your wishes. That, that's the whole point of a will, you know, in, 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 in making sure that those things that are important to everybody as individuals are looked after. Yeah, yeah, you can't choose who your executors are. Um, you know, you can't put any wishes in there about what happens to your body after you pass away um, and also if you hold assets – as tenants in common, which we talked about on a previous episode, but um, you know, if you've both got a separate interest in the property, not holding it as joint proprietors, then it can force the sale of an asset, and it might be that you don't want that to happen. You know, someone's living in a property, and you wouldn't want the property to be sold and for them to be kicked out, but your share needs to be dealt with under these intestacy laws, and um, you know, that that's what could happen. Yeah. And I think the other point is that there's no ability for discussion. Um, about the overall plan, you know, the, the the greatest value in our estate planning, I think, is the discussion that we have with our clients at the outset. We talk through all the the the, the various assets. We talk through their family scenario. We talk through their wishes. We have control to be able to make changes to the way their assets are held during their lifetime. We've got the ability to gift assets. We've got the ability to put in place strategies to avoid disputes and claims further on down the track. Um, you know, really the world is our client's oyster when they come to us in terms of what they can do. Yes, sometimes there are consequences with making those changes, so we might have to consider tax or stamp duty, those sort of things, but the point is we can plan. Now, all of those inadequacies, you know, not all of those will apply in all situations um, and not all of them will even be fatal if they do apply. Um, because m- many of those issues can be overcome by a person's estate. The only problem is it's, it requires the intervention of the courts and there are, there are two things with the intervention of the courts. Um, significant cost, 
and significant delay, uh, unfortunately. And I take it that's been your your um, experience with the courts too. Yeah, absolutely. They do their best, but you know, they're they're under resourced and they're incredibly busy, and um, it's a lot more cost effective to do it on the front end and set out your wishes in a will than have us scramble at the back end and try and fix it all and um you know yeah and 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 the you know the courts do their best but they are they are really really busy yep and 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 expensive and expensive (laughs) (laughs) and so i think the core overall for this discussion tristan is it begs the question why not take control when you can and i think like we said there's not many people who wouldn't take that control if they understand well enough why that control is benefit and the issues it can leave behind if they can't. Now, I think that's all from us today. Uh, Tristan, thanks again for joining me um, and thanks to our listeners. Uh, join us again next time on the Where There's a Will, There's a Way podcast. Thanks, Cheers. Stefan. Take care.